Welcome to So Sorry for Your Loss. This is not your average grief group. I'm Gianna Demedio. Thanks for joining me as we normalize the conversation around grief with the stories of those who've gone through it, a whole lot of humor, and a pinch of celebrity and entertainment news. Because fun fact, they grieve too. There's more to grief than that godforsaken dove flying over a willow tree on a sympathy card. I know you've seen it and know what I mean. Let's change the way society looks at it. Visit ssfylpodcast.com for more. I literally cannot start this episode in any other way than talking about the Sex and the City reboot and just like that. Oh, oh my gosh. Okay, so first of all, we kind of knew this was going to happen. If you saw my reel, we kind of knew it. I'm not going to give away any spoilers here, but I'm going to talk around it. Because if you're still living under a rock and you haven't seen it yet, then you need to go watch it so we can openly discuss it here on this show. But I know it's a little too soon yet, so I'm not going to give away spoilers. But we did kind of know what was going to happen. It happened. And just like that, the whole grieving community is in an uproar. (laughs) I'll be honest, I haven't even been able to get to episode two yet, mostly just because of time, but also because I've heard from others it's pretty brutal. So I'm not rushing to do so. But I do love that my favorite show is all of a sudden addressing two of the things that I focus my life around, podcasts and death. How interesting. Other things to discuss with it. I think the women look great. It's a shame. Kristen Davis came out saying that they're getting a lot of negative feedback and she was shocked by that. And for someone who's an actress to know how this world works with that and to still be shocked really speaks to the volumes that they're getting. Yes, they look older than they did. Yes, they've had more work done. But all in all, I think they look great. The fashion some of it questionable but when was it not on sex in the city it's just great to see their relationships back on the screen and it's also different for me watching now as a wife and a mother seeing them as wives and mothers all in all i am super excited for the rest of the season i want to see where this goes now even more so because i want to see how they handle grief is it appropriate is it breaking down some boundaries what can we get here i mean the creator of the show the writer at least for for this series who's not the same one, who's not Candace Bushnell from the original Sex and the City. But he came out saying, listen, they've always approached very deep topics and we wanted to see them get into that. And one of my followers had messaged me saying, look, maybe this is them tackling the next phase of life before it was all about sex. Now we're a little bit older and unfortunately it's about death. And that is... That is very true, but it's not called death in the city. We just wanted some fashion, some fun. We we didn't want the funerals, but here we are. So follow along. We'll definitely be talking about that more. Also, quick little life update. I know you've been following me in some of my travels, and we are doing it all over again. As of right now, I am sitting in my home in Philadelphia. My husband and I have been here for a little over six years, and we are literally in like the next 15 minutes, the movers are going to arrive. I'm like getting this done quickly. We are putting all of our things in storage. We are taking advantage of this virtual world and we are going to travel. Um, not like crazy exotic places. I mean, like we're going to Florida for Christ's sake. It's not not that crazy. I have a friend who's been traveling. She has just been in Ecuador for the past six weeks with her husband and her one-year-old. How freaking cool, you know, to get that type of cultural experience. So I'm not quite going that extreme, but taking the opportunity to just live in other places, do our thing before the baby has to be in school. Um, So it's a little 
hectic around here to say the least. It's definitely nostalgic too, going through all of my things, a lot of which are from my dad and from my grandmother, my mother-in-law, from other people that have passed. But just this feeling of knowing that like I can let go of some of those things now and that it's not the physical that attaches me to them anymore. So that has been liberating. But I will say for some reason today, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's that we're getting closer to the holiday, that I'm under a lot of stress with the move, or just that grief can do this every now and then. I'm feeling, for the first time in a very long time, I'm feeling really fucking angry about my dad not being here. But it's helping to be able to talk to you guys, so thanks for letting me do that. Anyway, great show for you today. I have Dr. Erica Austin. She is a PhD. She has moved her graduate studies into grief work. So now really works with women in counseling and setting that path forward for them and what their grief space is going to look like. She lost her first husband, David, when she was 26 years old. He had a seven-month illness with melanoma and was taken from her. Very devastating, very life-changing, but she was able to move forward. She has a beautiful way of looking at her grief. She is remarried. She has two beautiful daughters. And then unfortunately, grief struck again when her brother Frankie died suddenly in recent years. She was set right back onto the same path again with grief. But this time, she said it was so much different. It's really interesting to hear her take on this. She talks a lot about the lessons she learned from grief, about being open to learning these lessons, allowing grief to teach her what it needs to. And we talk so much about embracing death to be able to embrace life. She's so strong and confident in the way that she speaks about this. It's really reaffirming to your own feelings. At least that's how I felt. I'm hoping it gives off the same for you guys. I'm sure it will. And then towards the end, she gives us ways to honor your loved one, especially around the holidays. If you're looking for things to do to keep their memory alive or really just any time, there are evergreen ideas to be able to honor a loved one in unique ways with your family, with your friend. So stay tuned for that. And then, you know, a little pop culture news we have in there at the end too. So just a reminder, follow me on Instagram at so sorry with Gianna and enjoy the show. Hello, thank you so much for joining me here on the So Sorry for Your Loss podcast. Dr. Erica Austin, welcome. How are you today? Yeah, so good. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to get to talk to you today. You unfortunately have a bit of a grief history in losing your fiance and your brother, and then you moved into this grief work yourself. Give me a little bit of background. Tell us about each of the people that you lost. Yeah, absolutely. So actually it was my, my first husband. And so, yeah, and we met really young. We were in high school. We were like high school sweethearts and did college pretty far apart. He was at USC and I was at UC Santa Cruz, but we stayed together the whole time. And he was definitely my best friend. And, you know, we were young and had a lot of fun, like planning out our life together, had our kids' names picked out, all of that. And when I was in graduate school for my doctorate, we found out that he had stage four melanoma. And mm-hmm. so as you can imagine that our whole world, you know, shifted at that point, we got married at 24. So we were young. We found out about his melanoma when we were 26 And literally from one day to the next, we ended up having to move into a hospital, go from one treatment to the next. And seven months after his diagnosis, he did end up dying, which now, 
Yeah. Seven months, which was so, so quick. And, you know, to learn about so many things, right? Like we were processing what is cancer meant. We were processing like that, you know, this could be terminal, like so many things. And at the time I can recognize now, I think we were both in denial about so much. And and there was so such a lack of understanding, I think of and trying to process, you know, so there, there's just a lot going on, but we did have those seven months and, and those seven months were in and out of hospitals and hospice. And we ended up moving out of our apartment at the time and moving in with his mom. Cause the, you know, the times home were so brief at the time and really wanting to have time with his family as well together. And we really were like, I can look back now, Gianna, we were such good friends and, and such amazing friends that we were able to have really beautiful conversations during those seven months and Mm -hmm. how to get real and honest about what was happening. And especially at the end, you know, with hospice, if anyone's had to work, like they really just, you know, they were a huge support in being honest around this is happening. And these are the conversations, you know, you might want to start having. And so we were able to, to have those conversations together, which are very sacred to me now that, you know, we were able to, and that I got to be there, you know, for his last, his last breaths. And, and that just catapulted me into a whole new world of grief that was new to me and, you know, being a young widow and, all of that. And it was an interesting time because this was 2002. And so there were a lot of widows from 9-11, young widows. Mm. And this was like pre where there was so much social media and so much connection, you know, online. But at the time there was some pockets of connection online. And that was really a huge, huge source of support because being a, I mean, I was 26, you know, not many people- Yeah. So young understood, or I I wasn't even understanding all the complexity. Some people are barely married by 26, let alone married and and losing a husband. So it was probably very hard to find that. Yeah. Which was a huge, you know, gift in this weird, ironic way that other people understood. So that was really, really helpful at the time. But you know, that, that kind of is my first experience with loss. What is something that you wish to impart on other women that lose Mm -hmm. their husbands at such a young age? I think the biggest thing, if I could go back to my younger self, mind you, I'm coming up on 19 years, 19 years ago this December, I think just to give yourself so much time and space and self-compassion. I think that I was so lost, honestly, and confused and heartbroken. And, and yet I felt this sense of like, but I have to go on. Right. And my Mm -hmm. life has to kind of get back on track. And I think I would have told myself it doesn't, and there's no timeline and be more gentle with yourself. I think I tried to rush back into things a little bit. And I think part of that is honestly escaping some of my own feelings. So I think in addition with that is to really create that space to feel. It took me a long time to figure that out, honestly, like how to really sit with your feelings and how to create space for it. That took me a long time to, to sort that, honestly. I think you're the first person that I've had on that has lost a spouse. And I'm glad that I can finally talk with somebody about this because it's such a huge loss. It's definitely something to, to highlight here. Every loss is different, right? We talk about that all the time, even your loss of a husband is going to be very, very different from somebody else's loss of their husband or their spouse. Oh yeah, for sure. But I saw something the other day on Instagram and this is where it really hit me. Like in my loss of my dad, you 
kind of subconsciously in some way, mm -hmm. know mm -hmm. that you're going to lose your parent someday. Right. You never expect it to happen as early as it did for me. Sure. But to lose a spouse, the person that you think you're supposed to spend your life with, to lose a best friend who you think you're going to experience all these things with, to lose a child who you think yeah. is going to bury you, yes. I think that is a whole different layer too. And it's somebody posted something the other day that was like, every single part of your life changes when you lose a spouse, the way you eat, the way you dress, the way that you clean your house, the way, like every little yeah. thing. And I looked at that in terms of like the loss of my dad, like things, my entire life did change, but sure. he wasn't a part of my daily life schedule. Whereas with a spouse, it is. How did you move on in your daily life? Did you feel pressure from people to move on faster than you were ready for? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes Resounding. Yes. It looks like. Yeah, I exactly. Like I'll touch on the first that you were saying, like your everything changes, right? The person you go to bed with the person you wake up with the person that was going to take out the trash. Like when you had a hard day, who you turn to, you know, everything. I think what was really hard for me when I look back is we had had so many conversations about our future. We were young. So we were saving for a house. We had picked out our kids' names. We like all the, so I grieved so much of yes, not only the him in the past, but the future. And that was repeatedly heartbreaking for me. I think when I would see other couples and be like, oh, they, they get to have that. Or then when they had kids, right. It was like a reminder of like, oh, they get to live out their future that we didn't get to live out. And I know I see that a lot on Instagram as well. Like, you know, the first year is horrid for anyone who experiences yeah. grief because it's all so new and it's so hard. Your mind is, doesn't know how to process this huge loss. And then every year after you're just learning to carry it in different ways and it gets re-triggered in, in different ways to your second question, like in terms of, um, did I kind of push myself to move forward? I, I think, yeah, I really struggled with, I'm such a planner. I'm like kind of a type A person and I wanted my life to go a certain way, right? I had gone married. We were talking about kids. And so I think I rushed myself mm. into trying to like, well, my life was supposed to be on this path and it wasn't even conscious. Honestly, I think I, it was so ingrained in me that I did feel like a sense of pressure, which is so silly now. Cause I look back and I'm like, Oh my gosh, I was 26. Like it's ridiculous. Right. 100%. Like percent. Yeah, I was so young and wish I, again, younger self, I'd be like, go, <laughs> go travel, go uh -huh. like do whatever, you know, and I did for a little while, but I think something that you know, I think I try to impart now is it very much felt like you're in this new world and you have no idea how to navigate it. Like everything feels different and brand new and a little scary. And so I think that's part of what got me into grief work. It's because it almost feels like it's so helpful to have somebody who's kind of terrained that uncharted territory totally, and who can say, oh, that's totally normal or yes, everyone goes through that or absolutely, or, Hey, give yourself more time and space or remember to practice more self, like all those little guideposts. I feel like yeah. would have been so, so helpful. Today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. You've heard me talk about how therapy has been 
an absolute life changer for me. Like I legit don't know where I'd be without it. So if you're on the hunt for a therapy partner, you need to check out BetterHelp. It offers virtual services, assesses your personalized needs, and matches you with a licensed professional therapist that you can start talking to within 48 hours. And it's even more affordable than traditional counseling. Speaking of affordability, they're allowing me to gift you with 10% off your first month because I love you and I want to see you get the help that you need. You absolutely owe it to yourself to seek the support of a licensed therapist. You probably already do your banking online, read your news online, and do so many other things online. So go ahead and take care of that aching heart. Again, code SSFYL can get you 10% off your first month. They really make it so simple. So go check it out. Betterhelp.com SSFYL. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash S-S-F-Y-L. Thanks to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. As you're saying this, I'm, I'm thinking about my experience with it. That first six months, and honestly the first year, but really in that first six months, I put yeah. so much pressure on myself to mm-hmm. just like, it's been six months. Why aren't I okay with this yet? And right. I mean, it was a sudden death. Like, I, of course, I'm not okay with it. Right. But I think in what you're saying, there's no charted path. There's yeah. no, there was nobody to hand me a picture of myself two years from now and say, look, you are going to be okay. Right. So you just need to just give yourself some time now because you will get there. I think there's this fear that if I don't do it right this second, I'm never going to be okay. And I need to get my shit together right now. Yes. Yes. Which is so unnecessary. Right. Mm -hmm. And and I always try to lean back on like, what would you tell your best friend? Because we can be so much more compassionate sometimes with those that we love than with ourselves. Like, you know, self-compassion wasn't even in my vocabulary back then. And neither was kind of how broadly now we speak about grief and mental health. You know, we're looking back at like 19 years ago. So it was very different. I feel like it was very even way more uncomfortable for people then and I felt this sense of like discomfort and how do I bring it up and when do I when don't I and so it was just like it it, that added to the increasing unchartedness right like how do I navigate this this new world as a young widow and and it did cause confusion and I did put a lot of I think pressure on myself and yeah I would just hope that like you were saying that people had those that self-reflection to be like hey just chill out (laughs) this is a lot yeah (laughs) Yeah. it's so hard Mm -hmm. it is hard it is hard and there's sometimes like familial pressure or work pressure you know sometimes we just feel pressure from different or sometimes none of that pressure actually exists but you think it does you think people are looking at you differently you think you're going to get fired if you don't perform a certain way you think all of these things and they're not real it's your your own self again 100 yeah definitely can be all these perceptions of what we think right and it's not actually not grounded and like let's test if this is true so yes 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 to all of that. And yes to more time and more compassion across the board. If you're going through it to just like you were saying, John, like you will be okay and do what you need and, you know, take the space and the time that you need. And and the support is there because I think more than I sometimes we even realize definitely. Yeah. What came next for you? So I was in my graduate program then, and I had a great advisor who I was having a hard time, like getting back into like finishing up my PhD program. And she recommended, well, why don't you do something around grief? And so I started teaching these courses on at the time I was doing sociology on the sociology of death and dying. And that just like 
dove me into like cross-cultural look on death and dying. Mm -hmm. And and Mm -hmm. I'm kind of like a research nerd. So I loved learning about, you know, different ways of looking at death and grieving. And that was really cathartic for me. I got to teach like these big, large lecture halls with like 300 people, like multiple times. And it really helped me to just broaden my perspective of, yes, obviously death is very hard and really difficult for the people left behind. And there can also be different ways of looking at it and different cultures look at it differently and celebrate it differently. So that kind of opened up my world a bit to just have a broader perspective on, well, could I, you know, still have a relationship with my husband at the time is David, like, are there different ways to connect? You know, how can I keep his memory alive here? And so it really kind of opened me up more. And that's when after I finished my graduate program, I kind of took a more traditional route. I was teaching for a while and grief was kind of like there and people would always come to me, you know, if they lost a loved one or if it came up and I slowly started like coaching around that kind of on on the side and until I did it more full time. My brother died four years ago. So that was 15 years after David. So there was definitely a gap there. And it was interesting to experience like you were saying, grief is so different with every relationship. And this was my brother. Now my brother and I are like so close. I mean, I love my brother so, so much. And so huge, devastating loss, but I feel like I had so much experience now Mm -hmm. around grief and loss and connection. And so it was a very different experience. Like I definitely still obviously grieved him and and continue to, especially around holidays and, and milestones and things, but it was very different in the sense that I felt kind of this renewed sense that I knew that our love and relationship didn't have to die. And I know for some people that was very like, and it still can be depending, everyone kind of will embrace that or not embrace that differently. But for me, it just felt viscerally real. Like I, I just viscerally felt that in my gut Aww, when you said that. that, like in the best way possible, because mm. you're right. It doesn't end the love. And yes. that is one of the important lessons to learn from grief. And thank you for bringing that here because I think that is so true. And you saying this makes me reflect on some of the the losses I've had since my dad, you know, while they are still very hard, I do definitely look at them differently Mm. than I did his when it was like that first real jarring experience with death. Absolutely. Yeah. I almost was like, grateful in a way of like, oh, okay, I've been through this. I know it's going to like, I almost like knew what to expect. Like I knew I was just going to be ridiculously sad for a while because it's devastating. And he's my younger brother and it wasn't expected. And I knew now I needed to give myself that space and that that was okay. That it's, of course, you're going to like mourn this huge, significant person in your life. And once I did that, and now I knew how to kind of be with my feelings more and sit with them and like not be as scared of like this deep, dark sadness and really allow myself that space, then I could open up avenues to connect with him more and to just be more open to it. So I just felt more open. I felt more free to feel and it really created, um, a very different experience. And I think in having those, that's what I hope to impart or get to share with people that grief is so hard. And like you were saying, the love doesn't end. Mm -hmm. And it almost like opens you up to this world that unless you've experienced it, you can't really like begin to understand, but it's beautiful world and this other beautiful way to have an ongoing relationship if you're open to it. 
there is an appreciation for life after mm -hmm. experiencing a death that cannot be taught. Oh yeah. 1000%. Absolutely. Yes. So, so, so true. I wonder in everything that you were just saying, did that ever work against you almost that you were processing your brother's death in such a different and almost more healthy way since you had been through it before that did your brain ever start to trick you and say, I'm not grieving hard enough. Mm. You know, interestingly, it didn't because I still felt the loss. I was still so heartbroken I'm trying to see how I can best explain it, but it was almost like I could watch myself be heartbroken. If that makes sense. It's like, mm -hmm. I knew I had that experience and I knew kind of back to your earlier point that I would be okay. Right. Whereas I think the first time I didn't know that I didn't know that I'd get past these, like that very, very dark time. Like with my brother, I almost knew I could give myself this space because I knew that I had the capacity to now live with this. Like I knew it was going to be with me the rest of my life. I know it's not going to be easy, but I know I can handle it in a way. Yeah. And I know that it'll continue to teach me. Like I really see yeah. almost like a teacher. Like I, I don't feel like I've mastered it. I am not some like grief guru by any means. I just yeah. know that I continue to be open to letting it teach me. And that feels more expansive and it yeah. feels more hopeful. Yeah. That's a beautiful way to put it. You're open to letting it continue to teach you. Cause that's really what it is. There's so many lessons in this and yes. it's hard. You know, I I've had friends that are like, I don't need any more lessons. Okay. Like I'm old enough. I have it. I'm like, but there's, there is lessons in all of it. And for some reason they never stop. I mean, people who are 99 years old are going to continue learning lessons. Tell me a little bit about your brother. Cause from some of the, the pictures that I've seen, he looks like he was like a very like fun, gregarious type of person. Am I getting that right? Yes. I love that you picked that up about him. He was just a larger than life person. He's fun. You know, he was the type of person that just walked into a room and lit it up. He was a great storyteller. And it's, it's interesting because both he and David were, and they were very close. And wow. so I love to imagine that, you know, they're together, but yeah, my brother, Frankie was just, just a beautiful soul. And it's interesting, like on the soul level, like he and I just connected, like we just loved and respected each other so much. And so I think that helps me feel like that connection is still there because yeah. it was, it was just so, we both so felt it and really, um, spoke it to each other, you know, often just how grateful we were for each other. And, and, you know, he was the one that I turned to when I had difficult times and he was the one that helped me through David, you know, a, a big part of that. And so I think having his support through that helped me to know almost like how he would be with me through another loss, if that makes sense. Like I can hear him and know yeah. that how, how supportive he would be. What made it really hard with my brother is that he had two small children when he passed. So he had a three-year-old at the time and four month old. Oh my gosh. And so that was devastating because when I see them, it's so bittersweet. It's like, yeah. I can see him in them, but then I like, so want them to experience like what you were describing that like fun, amazing, beautiful person. And so that's, that's still hard. Like I still yeah. will always wish that they got to grow up with their dad and that they got to experience what an amazing soul he was. And, and you know, there's ways we can impart stories and things, but I know it'll never quite be the same. And then being able to like his 
wife, like to understand what it's like to, to lose a husband, but then I didn't have kids. So there's not everything that I understand. So, yeah. you know, able to like, just provide support where I can, but knowing that she's walking that walk and it's, it's, it's hard. Yeah. Was mm-hmm. it an illness or was it sudden? No, it was sudden and unexpected. And so that just made it, it's devastating, right? It's something yeah. that, yeah. And for my mom, it's been like you were saying, no one expects to lose a child. And then the same when I was, you know, with David for his mom, you know, we're still very close. Like for her, it was devastating. Like no one wants to lose a child. So it's, everyone's kind of experiencing it, you know, through their own relationship and, and going through that, through that lens. I wonder through your grief work, what you think about this. Cause one of the things I talk about in the difference between someone that you lose in an illness and mm-hmm. someone that you lose suddenly is yep. not the, the weight of the grief or how much grief you feel, but more Mm. so when the grief starts for someone with an illness, it's almost as if that grief can start either at the date of diagnosis or the time that they go into hospice or when you're really faced with the finality of it. Right. And then the grief of somebody sudden, obviously starting when it happens. So I've had people that for me, like the, the anniversary of the death, is Mm -hmm. incredibly difficult for me because of the trauma that I feel from that day. Whereas I have, I've had friends that have had somebody that they've lost to cancer where the anniversary date really isn't anything because they had Mm. prepared for that for, for many months. So I'm just wondering if you have any thoughts on, on the differences just from, from the work that you've done, but also having personally experienced it yourself. Yeah. I think what, what's, stands out for me is like with David, it was cancer. And so I think I experienced anticipatory grief with, with David because, you know, we were told what the prognosis was. I, I will say, I think a part of that was a bit of denial. And so I wasn't fully grieving because I feel like there was this little bit of hope and denial that things would somehow miraculously change. So I think when I look back at that, like when in terms of like you were saying, like those milestones when his diagnosis date was, which was in May for us, I feel like that's a little bit heavier because I now see how things just unraveled and Mm -hmm. until they like, you know, got to that point, right. Where he passed, whereas with my brother, cause it was sudden and unexpected. Like you were saying, there's like a trauma that comes with it because it, you feel sideswiped, like there is no level of preparation and it just came. And now you like, in terms of my physiological responses, I would say they were similar when I got, when we got David's diagnosis date. And then when I heard the news about my brother, it was a similar, like drop to my knees. You almost feel outer body. Like, Like I couldn't wrap my thoughts around And it happened both times. Like I remember with David, I literally fell like to the floor and this like, I'll never forget like an older lady at the hospital, like saw me crying (laughs) on the floor and she was like, oh honey, these places, because we were at a hospital, have this way of doing this to people. And, you know, it just felt so outer body, like people were talking and I couldn't process. And I remember the same with my brother, we got the news suddenly and I was with both my daughters at the time. And I just remember crying and like, I don't even know what I said because I was just not fully there. And so both of those experiences, I think when you know your life's all of a sudden changed drastically, Mm -hmm. I think is when the true grief work starts. I've had people that have said like, okay, now that the person has passed, I don't 
feel as intensely as I thought I would. And I mm. have to say like, well, you don't realize that you've already been grieving for years. You've been grieving yeah, since absolutely. you found out that it was almost imminent that they were going to pass, unfortunately. So, yeah. and you know, that's something I've been trying to combat on this podcast as well. Recent guest was somebody who is dealing with a father with Alzheimer's and, mm -hmm. you know, she's losing him, but he's still there. You know, right. So there's very, very many types of grief and loss. And another thing I'd like to ask you, you talked about the studies that you've done with grief in different societies and different cultures. Mm -hmm. What are some things that you think that Americans need to implement into the culture around grief that you think would be really helpful? So much. <laughs> <laughs> I totally agree. You know, it was just so fascinating. Like even our embalming process here of like trying to preserve like a certain look and way in the United States is just fascinating to me. And I think a lot of it is around acceptance. I think other cultures, it's just like an, an acceptance that there will be death and it's not this like big taboo unspoken about like not knowing how to handle it phenomenon almost like it's more interwoven in like stories and culture and you know often the dead is even like taken into the home and people can say goodbye and it, it it's just such a different way of interacting with this notion of death and so like going back to your question i think it's just the way that we talk about it the way that we accept it, not in this cold way, but in a way that like you were saying, I think when you fully embrace death, you fully embrace life because mm. you realize how sacred the time with each other truly yeah. is. And so I think if we keep it grounded in that level of like, and I know when we're human and we're all going to have imperfect moments and, right. but it's coming back to like that repair or that grounding of like, wait a second, like this interaction between you and I right now is a gift. Like mm -hmm. we're both here. We're both present. We're getting to have this conversation about life and death. Like it's like bringing it back to the meaning and being mindful and being aware and being like truly conscious about what a gift all of these relationships and interactions truly are. I think it, it is just, it really helps. And I feel like a big part of that is just opening up conversations and being honest with each other. And even, in, you know, one way in U.S. culture is, is holding space. Like people have a very hard time often are very uncomfortable when the topic of death comes up. And even just like challenging ourselves to hold space. And by that, I mean, like, Gianna, tell me about your dad. Yeah, You know, we all want to talk about our loved ones. It's right. not... And if you make me cry, great. Like you're helping me process more. And so I think people are afraid. Will they want to talk about it? Will they not? Will I say the wrong thing? And even in owning that, like, hey, I don't really know what to say. Yeah. Um, and how can I be more helpful? And people always ask, I say, you know, people want to talk about their loved ones. Like just. Absolutely. The biggest them. misconception is that you're going to make us sad by asking, but yes. in reality, that's all we want to do is talk about them because yeah. we can't just pick up the phone and call them or can't just have a conversation or, or oh. whatever. But I do understand. I mean, I have made this my life to talk about it all day long and it's still right. uncomfortable. I still, when it's not somebody who has a similar loss to me, I don't right. know what to say because I know there's intricacies for every single situation. So I totally get why people feel the way that they do, but you know, that's my hope with this podcast. And, and I love the work that you're doing because it's things like this, hopefully that bring it 
to the surface a little bit more because I absolutely love what you said. How can you possibly embrace life if you can't embrace death? And it's so spot on, so spot yeah. on. It's so true, right? And I think it just grounds people to like, just remind you like what what's important and what really matters. And I think any of us who have experienced loss know that. And I think sometimes we get caught up in that it's the big things about life and it's not, right? Yeah. It's those little moments and the connection um, that, I mean, when I look back, that's at least what I think about. It wasn't necessarily like those big days. It was it was the, the heartfelt conversations. It was those special moments yeah. it, looking at each other. It was yeah. like it's all those, those little things. And, and so I think for ourselves, just to remember, I guess, if you don't have that context, you know, what's thinking back in your own life, what's been most meaningful, right. Mm -hmm. Just to give you a sense of like, what brings you the most meaning and connection and, and how can you, you know, foster that even more in your relationship. Yeah. And what, what really, really does it? Not what society tells you should. 100%. Yes. Yeah. yeah so true. Cause there's so many shoulds. Right. And even when yeah. I look back at like wasted time or things I wouldn't wish I didn't do a lot of the times it was around these shoulds. Oh, I should do this. I should do that. And, and that got in the way of what I really wanted to do or what would have been really meaningful. So there's a couple pop culture things that we can go over. But before we do so, I want to talk about you had a really beautiful post on social media that I will definitely share when promoing this episode about ways to honor a loved one. So can you go over some of those for us? Yeah, absolutely. And I know we just passed Thanksgiving here. And so that was one example. So both David and my brother were great cooks. And so something we do is when David was really sick, actually, we still love to cook. And so we did, we got to do a last Thanksgiving together and found a really great recipe. So we've done that ever since we've done his recipe for the last 20 years. So I think a thread of everything that I'll share is like, what's meaningful for you about the person and what kind of brings their memory to life. Other examples are David was a huge angels baseball fan. So I remember my brother actually had bought like a brick, you know, with his name that's there at the stadium. So that's like a way to commemorate and you that's can, sweet. Go and yeah. you can always see it. It'll always be there. Another thing that we did again, that my brother helped with David was we um, planted a tree so that it's there it's living, it's growing. Like I can go visit it and see it. So sometimes people like something that's tangible. A bench is another popular one. Um, that's what we have we for my dad. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we have. My brother lived in San Francisco near the same area for many, many years. So there's a bench there, which when I went to go visit it, I mean, it's definitely just so touching and brings up so much, but I love being able to have a physical location that mm -hmm. I can go to and bring my girls to and, and, you know, commemorate to another beautiful one is generating or compiling like stories from different people about your person and Ooh. being able to like have that together. And there's some companies that, that can help do that for you to generate a book. I think I, ha I haven't done that yet for my brother. I'd like to do it for his son. I feel like that would be really meaningful to compile different stories for him to get like a better sense of, of Oh, that would be beautiful. Is. Yeah. Yeah. So I think just things that really connect you and bring meaning. I mean, there's also small, subtle ways of doing it. I know one that I go back to a lot is being able, like I have a journal, one for my brother and, and one for David, where I just 
talk to them. And when I have maybe when, like I would, if they were here, if I was going to pick up the phone and be like, Hey, I'm going through this. Or what do you think about that? Like being able to just give yourself space to, to continue to talk to them. Some people like to do that in a journal or in a meditation, visiting places that they loved, you know, favorite restaurants or maybe locations that you went to together that can bring back certain beautiful memories. So I think the kind of common theme here is a way to just honor the relationship, honor some beautiful memories and kind of bring them back to life. I have a client who did something really beautiful as well. Her mother also had like a really wonderful recipe that she now gets a huge group of people they make it and they donate it around. Oh, things. cool. Yeah, so really beautiful ways just to like commemorate and bring that their, that their spirit alive in, in a meaningful way. You know, some people have made jewelry that they can see every day. Tattoos are, are popular yeah. as well. So tattoos is definitely something I want to get into. I know yeah. somebody, some people who have some really cool ones, just like, you know, the handwriting thing is very big, but very just different off the cuff ideas and, and definitely been something that I've always toyed with, but I haven't pulled the trigger. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I have, I have some jewelry. I mean, there was a, there was a phase where I was like, I couldn't do enough things, you know, like nothing really fills the void. And I was like trying to do whatever I could to make it feel like it was okay. But you know, I, I've learned to just be able to like appreciate that these things that I have in, in memory of my dad, not try to make them heal me, if that makes sense. Yeah. And that's a great point too, is also to not put pressure on yourself. Like you do this in time when it feels right. And because it does take a lot of like capacity and mental capacity to be able to do something like that. So when you're ready and when it feels right and, and to know that every year it might look different and it might change and you might feel like doing something one year and next year might be totally different. I'm thinking particularly around like milestones. And so Mm -hmm. just every year I would say is, is different and just honor what feels right for you. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Thank you for sharing those. That's very helpful. Move into some pop culture tips now. I don't even know how to say this. Iman, Iman, the supermodel. I think it's Iman, but yeah, I think so. So Iman, I mean, she's gorgeous and beautiful. And like, she's somebody that like I would recognize, but, and I love the one name, you know, she's somebody that only needs one name. I just don't know how to pronounce that one name, unfortunately, (laughs) but Iman. So she was the wife of David Bowie, but of course, more than that, she had a a fabulous supermodel career herself as well. Very involved in fashion. And she recently this year, is coming out and talking about her grief a lot more. Mm. They had a house in Northern New York and she went to go kind of check up on the house or kind of close up the house a little bit. And then Mm. quote, everything happened in the pandemic. And she essentially was stuck there with, you know, really nowhere else to go because everything started shutting down. People were evacuating all the major cities. And she said spending time in that house where they had so many memories together made her realize how much of her grief she had actually been suppressing. And I just can't even imagine what Mm. it was like to be in that house alone with like the walls just dripping with memories of her husband and that you were saying like the future that they were supposed to have and now that they can't in a time too when the entire world is also grieving. You know, I wonder if that almost helped that people were kind of put in the same spot that she was, which is something that we've talked about on this podcast before of like, all of a sudden the entire world had to experience what we experience on an everyday basis. 
Right. Um, in her way of honoring David Bowie, in addition to all the wonderful ideas that you just provided, she is now coming out with a fragrance and it's going to be called Love Memoir. And mm -hmm. it's a rich layered scent with black currant, vanilla, and delivering a sexy, smoky, almost out adjacent scent. Not exactly <laughs> what I would think that David Bowie smells like, but sure. <laughs> Why not? But certainly a beautiful way to be able to honor him. And I was thinking about it this week and I thought, hmm, if I were going to create a fragrance for my dad, what would it smell like? Probably cigars and garlic. <laughs> <laughs> I think so, that a fun exercise for anyone who's not like what would what would your fragrance be right that yeah so what about person. david or frankie what would their fragrances be <laughs> i know right that's such a um, one i love how she was able to channel commemorating david in this beautiful creative way and coming up with her own signature fragrance i just think that's so beautiful that she was able to do that and yeah i would really have to think about like what would their what would their fragrances be like and it's interesting because I think it brings up the notion of smell. Yeah. Because different smells that trigger me to remember both of them for different mm -hmm. reasons. And so, like, one, my mind goes to that, like, what those scents would be, and to make sure they were infused in like their signature fragrance. But I think maybe she has like a potential business or somebody does, because I feel like that's such a fun idea to be able yeah. to encapsulate, you know, who they were in a fragrance. So, just definitely love that idea and the ability yeah. to be able to do that. And you also touched on, you know, the pandemic year, I think in a way really kind of raised consciousness about grief and what it is and, and how people experience it and how layered it is. So I do feel in, in many ways, it did kind of open up the conversation more, which in some ways is just nice just for people to kind of have more compassion or more understanding mm -hmm. for others. Mm -hmm. And going back to what we were saying previously about how like really being able to embrace life after these experiences, the pandemic really did that too, <laughs> you oh, know? Yeah. And it's like the, again, I think there were some things where we were like, none of this crap in life really matters anymore. And then when everybody else got to see that because material yes. things were kind of taken away, job statuses or whatever, like you were just grateful for the very basic that you even had because so many people were left with nothing or, you know, some of the devastation that we had seen, it, it really put things into perspective. So I don't know, I, I would like to think that I have faith in humanity and that we could hang on to that for like another decade, but. Right, we'll I see. I don't know, <laughs> I yeah. think. Yeah, we'll we'll see. I think it also challenged like what normal is or like what our day to day functioning is. But then you kind of see like slipping back into that a little bit. So you're right. Like, I think it comes back to that mindfulness. I feel like mindfulness is such like a great practice in sense of like bringing you back to like what we learned through the pandemic, what matters, what's important, you know, what's, what should I be focusing on here? Mm -hmm. what, you know, what should I be giving my attention to here? So I do think it's an ongoing practice. It's not a hundred percent. Yeah. And it's frustrating, isn't it? Gosh, you're like, I wish I could just make that my standard, but I even still find myself like, why am I getting upset about this totally. thing that literally in the scheme of things means nothing. Even when I know this, oh, that yeah. is just like a human default <laughs> to get upset about it. Totally. Still. I'm just like, I should know better, but like we're human. Right. And it's part of our human experience. I think, I think if anything I've learned 
it's a practice. Like, yeah. And I feel when I'm out, like out of sorts, meaning if I haven't done my own like grounding work through meditation or my own practices, like I feel more pulled, I would say by things outside of me, right? Like in terms of like what matters, what should matter, what, you know, things become more maybe aggravating or agitating. So it really is a practice, even if you've really experienced it, even if you've experienced it viscerally, like to keep it with you as a practice. Yeah. Definitely. What can we expect to see next from you or what is something you want to do in the future with grief? Thank you for asking. I love just getting to share and something that I've recently done through the pandemic is a healing circle. So I think it's a way for people to just come together. And I think through a lot of my own one-on-one work, I get to share some of my best practices. So I do it only do it once a month. My December one is, is sold out, but I do it every third week of the month. So I'll post that more on Instagram. That's kind of where you probably see me most active. And, and so that's a real like beautiful collective way to support people through mourning and, you know, start talking about ways to heal and to connect. I would say those are kind of the big two takeaways. I think for me, such a big part of my own healing that I like to share with others is how to keep that love alive. And yes, your person is no longer physically here and, you know, create space and tools on how to, you know, deal with all those big feelings that that arises in people and what can that mean or what can that look like in kind of a new and different and expansive ways. So that's, that's what I most love doing is helping people to just expand in their connection with themselves and their loved one. And, and what I really love doing in a, in a group setting. Awesome. Well, it's such important work. So I am grateful that we have somebody like you out there that is doing this. Where can people find you on Instagram if they do want to connect with you? Yes. So I am at Dr. Erica Austin and the Erica is with a K. And so I'm most active there. And yeah, if you have any questions or if I can support in any way, please feel free to message me. would be happy to. Amazing. And anything, any final thoughts you want to say before we close out? I would just love to say anywhere, if you are on your grief journey to just remember to be your own best friend, you know, sometimes we can be really hard with ourselves and to just remember, um, what would you say to your own best friend and to maybe share that with yourself? Yeah. And just remember, although it can feel like you're alone, that you're not. And I think something I'm really thankful for now that wasn't there, you know, 19 years ago is like the sense of community, like your podcast, Jana, like there's definitely the conversation has opened up. So find the person that you connect to and know that you're, you're not alone. And there's people here that, you know, want to support you and just share, you know, what they've learned through their own grief journey, if it helps in any way. Well, definitely. Thank you so, so much for being here. Really appreciate you taking the time. And I hope that everybody now feels like they have some solid things to be able to do to honor their loved one and to know that there's somebody like you out there that can help them through this. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me, Gianna. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening. Head over to Instagram to follow more at So Sorry with Gianna. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, leave that five-star review. I would love you for it. More to come on this season of So Sorry for Your Loss. So stay tuned.